I'm so worried about modern technology. I'm so worried about all the things that they dump in the sea. I'm so worried about it, worried about it, worried, worried, worried. I'm so worried about everything that can go wrong. I'm so worried about whether people like this song. I'm so worried about this very next verse. It isn't the best that I've got. And I'm so worried about whether I should go on or whether I should just stop. Red Button. Conversation set free. Red Button. our community here in North East Essex, what really matters? How different is life wherever we live? I'm waiting for the Kerala Express train to arrive here on Platform 2 at New Delhi Central Railway Station. This train is already six hours late and still making its way from the southern tip of India over a thousand kilometers away. A two-day journey across the Indian subcontinent. But I'm happy and comfortable here. People watching. A fairly constant stream of hawkers and peddlers walk the platforms here, offering lush bunches of green grapes Large paper bags bursting with plump limes and lemons and bunches of thick, short bananas. Samosas can be cooked to order with hot, smoky sauces provided and can be washed down with cold bottles of globally famous sweet, fizzy drinks. Young army soldiers wait in shady corners, holding their rifles and machine guns rather solemnly. Their green and beige camouflage uniforms neatly pressed and with their names neatly embroidered on the left-hand breast pockets of their shirts. Several policemen with proud moustaches and shiny button epaulets on their light tan uniforms sit in a group drinking tea shaded by their own self-importance. A small woman wearing a dazzling blue sari sweeps rubbish from the platform straight onto the tracks below using a short-handled broom. I watch beggars walk amongst waiting passengers in dishevelled and ragged shirt and trousers, the thick dirt of their poverty staining their faces. They stretch out towards each group they pass, one hand cupped to receive, the other held silently to their mouth. For one man, it was all too late. He slowly lay down, just a few feet from me, and died, right there on the platform. And then, in an orderly and practiced way, he was quietly removed by two Indian railway officials. His blanket remained, however, a shadowed memory of this simple and sad passing. This is a message from Mike Harwood. The following audio files have been recycled because recycling is a virtue in and of itself. 5% of Mike's fee goes to charity. You're listening to Red Button. So many similar guests, they all merge into one. This time it's Dave Nash.
That was made by Mike Harwood Audio Recycling. Let's not quibble the cost of virtue. I'm listening. Hello, everybody. You are listening to Red Button here on 106.6 FM Colm Radio. And uh, we are live once more, but we're not in a, in a bar in Wivenhoe. We're not in a bar in Brightlingsea. We are here at the Rooftop Executives Bar here at Colm Radio Towers. And uh, we sent David off in his tuk-tuk when, and we had a little, uh, a little trick we played on. We, we told the driver to just go around in a circle. So we're back here, David, and welcome so much. David, Thanks, you're here. It's lovely to uh, speak to you. And, you know, you're going to talk about your adventures across the Indian subcontinent, aren't you? You've been to India, Bangladesh, Nepal and Bhutan. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, some great adventures, some great experiences and amazing places. Yeah, well, it's a yeah. big place, isn't it? It is, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, India's uh, the mother of them all, really, uh, in many ways. Uh, yeah. the, the mother of the world with the amount of people who live there. Um, and I, I remember getting back from India and sitting uh, in the Playhouse in Colchester, a venue we're probably all familiar with, um, and I remember sitting in the playhouse just thinking it was the most amazing place in the world. It was calm, it was ordered, it was glamorous and, and, uh, you could clean your teeth with water from the tap. And I looked outside and saw cars driving in lanes and cows were in fields. It was, it was <laughs> quite surreal compared with in- India. But, but you've traveled to 105 countries. Yeah. Uh, and, and you've described, uh, it is, is like nowhere else on earth, despite those 105 countries you've been to. Why is India so different? Well, because I think there's no hiding in India. You can't view the culture through, through rose-tinted spectacles. It just pulls you straight in. You're in and you're part of those uh, 900 million people. Um, and, and I think you, you, you kind of have a spiritual connection with it forever. Um, uh, you know, if you'd serve India, say, on a plate, um, it would be stacked high, full of a mess of colours and smells with the Ganges running through it and, and the Taj at the centre. And it is, it is chaos. Yeah. The buses, the trains, the worship, the ceremonies, the power cuts, oh, yeah. the cows, the meditations, the sitar playing. But one thing I think you do have out there is, is time because yeah. there's so much chaos, but there's no rushing anything. It's absolutely right. A chaos yeah. is, is just right, isn't it? There is nothing that is not chaotic, really. And the little bit we played there of, uh, 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 from the railway station, I mean, uh, I recorded all the sounds of that were recorded at that railway station. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the transport's amazing, isn't it? And, yeah. and I think what that little piece picked up was, uh, was all the, uh, all the different, things going on around you and and i remember reading a book out there by amy mcdonald and it was called holy cow because we know that in india the uh, the cow is holy yeah. and, uh, and and they don't kill them and they are everywhere including on the train tracks yeah. everywhere it's uh, uh they I just think. walk along the uh, they do walk along the platforms and just drool absolutely everyone. absolutely but but i remember <laughs> uh, in in this book uh, she she said that she described india perfectly and, and the highway code out there and she said uh, the pedestrian moves for the human rickshaw and the human rickshaw moves for the cycle rickshaw and the sh- cycle rickshaw moves for the motor rickshaw the motor rickshaw moves for the car the car for the bus the bus for the lorry and as with all transport everything only stops for one thing the holy cow Yes, so right, so yeah, right. Absolutely. Okay, we've just adjusted your mi- microphone to get you a bit closer to it. Right. There. So apologies if, if Dave was saying a bit distance, that was our microphone. I wasn't um, in India. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, I, somewhere I went a few months ago, and it is the most famous site in India, uh, the Taj Mahal, and you've seen all seven wonders, but you've described to me the Taj Mahal being the most beautiful of all the things you've ever seen. Yeah, absolutely, and... and um it's difficult to say why, isn't it? It's a kind of numinous experience. I mean, you've seen it, haven't you, Bill? And it's almost like meeting, um, you know, your idol, your celebrity that you think, will I be disappointed? Should I not meet it? But, you know, uh, yeah. the, the, the Taj, as you know, it's in Agra and it's surrounded by chaos and dirt. Yeah. And it's almost like going through, um, you know, the old stars in your eyes, uh, tonight, Matthew, I'll be, and you go through this smoke and you come out the other side. And there is just absolute beauty the other side yeah. of this, 
you know, it was built as uh, a mausoleum um, in, in the 1600s. And uh, it's the ultimate symbol of love as well, and the symmetry, the perfection. And it is perfect, isn't it? Absolutely. And, uh, and I wasn't sure. I, I was told I'd get there at first light, and I thought, well, what difference does that make? But the sun did come up, and it cast its rays on that white marble and turned it pink. Yeah, absolutely. It's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. It's the, the building's alive. It's stunning, and uh, yeah. it, it, it should be on everyone's bucket list in, in, the, just, in their life. Just to come in there, uh, not a lot of people know that um, Akbar's original palace was at uh, Fatehpur Sikri. Right. At a secret, which uh, I went to um, just after a rainstorm. And it's up on a hill, a uh, beautiful building. And uh, I think that's where they had a large um, chessboard with actual um, uh, human figures as chess pieces. Uh, larger than life. It was just, there was the sound of drums coming from the valley and uh, the, uh, the smoke rising. And um, I think he had to move from there because um, the, the water... Uh, Became short, and therefore he moved to the uh, and built the Taj Mahal, right. which was just as well, given what you just said about it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Interesting. Yeah, and actually, like you say, if you if you turned your back to the Taj Mahal, it's like like being in a, a very warm version of Ilford, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> not great, but uh, so. Uh, it, is a, it is a wonderful place. Now, your degree, David, is in philosophy and theology. And uh, in India, you really are surrounded by religion, aren't you? So uh, how did that influence, you know, what influential sites or, or people or places did you see that, that are connected to that, that, that religious uh, waves of religion that, that sweep over India? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, d- despite the problems in India, and there is obviously problems, there's an amazing amount of religious tolerance with, with Buddhism, Sikhism, Hinduism being the main one, and Christianity as well. Um, but I, I went up north to the city of Amritsar, which is, is where the Sikh holy temple is the main place for Sikhism. Uh, and it's amazing. It's, it's a beautiful gold temple surrounded by a lake. It's not huge, but, but it's stunning. But I think the thing which I found amazing about it is that, that Sikhism really promotes equality and that everyone is equal. Um, and in this temple, it's got four doors representing that you can come from any corner of the world and you are welcome in there. But what was great about it was that you got free accommodation, which is always good as a young traveler. Mm. And, uh, and, and you had the Sikh Khalsa, the guards would stand guard over you to make sure you were safe as a traveler for the night. And you also got, got free food as well, um, in the langa, and they serve 20,000 people a day in this langa oh for free. Me. So it was, it was, you know, you were part of it. They welcomed everyone. Um, but, but a lot of people say in India, there's a lot of challenges, David. They'd say, uh, you know, it's a very difficult place uh, to travel in, despite, you know, you saying there being that people will help you out. Um, you know, what, what were the biggest challenges you, you faced traveling around? I think the biggest one is uh, is Delhi Belly, if I'm honest. Um, you know, 50 years ago, a British traveller uh, would only get Benidorm Belly, but uh, we've now gone all sophisticated and long haul. Um, but, but in all seriousness, you know, when you are travelling six hours on a bus or, or, or on a train and you've taken quadruple the amount of uh, emodium you're meant to, um, it, it leads to quite a tense time, uh, particularly when you're wearing white linen trousers uh, in a commando fashion. Um, and, 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 you know, I remember checking once into this hotel. We, we paid £15, me and my friend. It was a poshest hotel in the area just for a bit of cleanliness. And we were ill. And, of course, you have to wait half an hour on, in India for them to fill out that piece of large A3 paper um, with, I don't know what details they put down on it, but yeah. it's a challenge waiting for the hotelier's paperwork to, to be completed. Are we allowed to ask which part of your body was most challenged by that half hour? Uh, put it this way, it's, it's, it's the best diet plan I've ever been on, <laughs> and I came back with uh, just the one chin, which was good. So... The one thing that I'd like to pick up on what you said, David, yeah. was um, about the being cared for within the religious centres, yeah. uh, particularly the Sikh temple. I mean, is that something that you... Because there, there are bits that we can take from all around the world. Mm. Is that sense of welcome, that sense of protection, that sense of uh, looking after the traveller, looking after other members of your community, something that you think that we we have definitely lost but they still retain? 
well, you've, I suppose you've got extremes out there because, as you said, you know, you, you can see, a, as that piece just said, you can see a dead body um, and people don't blink an eyelid. But also with that amount of poverty comes human kindness and you see the best of people in the world as well. Yeah. You know, when I was in Calcutta, I, I went to Mother Teresa's homes and, um, you know, for orphan children and, and we went into um, one and she set up this place for the, the destitute and the dying. And, uh, and there was a volunteer there, and he said 50% of these people would be dead in two weeks. And, uh, and this, this man, who previously lived on the streets, just held my hand and counted to 100 in English. And, and it was amazing. He was so pleased he did it, and he held it tighter and tighter as he got to 100. And that was probably his last accomplishment in life. But I, I think credit to what she did mother teresa um that's uh you know she said that these people lived on the streets like animals but but they'll die as angels um and, and an incredible sense of love in some of these centers but such harshness on the streets i think what we've got over here in england is that, uh, that middle of the road western society where we forget how lucky we are and our biggest resource is is each other isn't it really well, David, let's have a little pause. We asked you to think of some of your favourite bits of music that you'd like to play. And yep. so we've gone, first of all, for Corner Shop by Brimful of Asher. So uh, why have you chosen that? Well, the song is based on the history of music um, of, you know, we know Bollywood and film culture. And it's a tribute to the Bollywood singer called Asher uh, Bolshi, who was a playback singer who mimed over the, the, the films for over 12,000 songs. So it's about Bollywood films. Asher on the 
red button. Shooting the breeze. Some people set records by jumping the highest or running the fastest. But for Jessica Nabongo, a UN employee turned travel blogger, it's by becoming the first black woman to visit every country on earth. She set out to visit all 193 countries in the world in 2016. And on October the 6th this year, she arrived in the last on her list, the Seychelles according to a post on her Instagram page. She also clocked up a couple of what the UN call non-observer status territories, taking her total to 195. Welcome to the Seychelles, country 195 of 195. So much to say, but for now, I will just say thank you to this entire community for all of your support. This was our journey, and thanks to all of you who came along for the ride, she wrote. Born in Detroit to Ugandan parents and holding two passports, Nabongo's epic odyssey hasn't just been about getting her name in a record book, She's hoping to pave the way for women and people of colour to do the same. Although she felt like she'd achieved the American dream by landing a six-figure job at a pharmaceutical company after college and buying her own place in Detroit, the work didn't satisfy her. She began renting out her apartment to make money, then hit the road, first teaching English in Japan, then grad school at the London School of Economics, followed by a job at the United Nations that took her to Benin and then Italy. But that wasn't enough to satisfy the travel bug. Simply being able to afford a ticket doesn't mean that travel is easy or seamless. Nabongo's experience traveling the world undercut many of the exhortations travel brands have to live like a local, being able to seamlessly blend in anywhere simply by changing clothes or ordering coffee in a certain way. Often, as the only person of color in a crowd, she stood out whether she wanted to or not. Jessica also has dark skin and shaves her head. To date, there are about 150 people who are known to have been to every country, the majority of whom are white men travelling on European passports, the ones who have the option to blend in in more places. Five percent of Mike's fee goes to charity. Resep, the Indonesian word for prescription, is an anagram of her surname. For her first name, jumbled up, is the first four letters of the word ointment. She has extremely curly hair, considered by Northeast Essex conservationists to be a habitat, and she comes from Kent, and so basks in the reflected glory of wicketkeeper Alan Knott. Yes, the puzzle is solved. Tonight's guest is... Dave Nash! That was made by Mike Harwood Audio Recycling. If you pay peanuts, you get monkeys. Okay, 
you're listening to Red Button here on Colm Radio 106.6 FM and we're here uh, with special guest Dave Nash who's returned to Colm Radio to talk about his adventures across the Indian subcontinent uh, in India, Bangladesh, Nepal and Bhutan. Yeah, so Dave, uh, you're so uh, so well travelled and uh, moving from religion to music, you right. also trace the uh, footsteps of the Beatles in uh, Rishikesh. I'd like to give us some uh, enlightenment about that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, f- for a brief time in 1968, Rishikesh was the coolest place on, on planet Earth. And uh, my friend Richard and I, who travelled with me, wanted to experience a little bit of what the Beatles did in 1960s. Um, and, and the Beatles, if, if you don't know, uh, uh, dabbled in a few substances in the late 60s. Uh-huh, and then they, they, they met, met the Maharishi in London in 1968, and he promised them uh, spiritual enlightenment through transcendental meditation. So they thought they'd give that a go. Yeah. Um, so what they've got all around Rishikesh are things called ashrams, and, and they're a bit like a kind of health spa or hospital for the mind. Uh-huh. Uh, so we thought, oh, yeah, we'll check in uh, into them. Uh, and it was tougher than we thought, in actual fact, because your days would start at 5 a.m. chanting in Sanskrit before eating a, a basic meal of cardboard, uh, some worship by Mother Ganga, of course, and then, uh, and then yoga, where, you know, it, it sounds easy, but I'm not sting. Uh, and then more meditation. And, of, of course, you know, when you're meditating, she kept saying, you have to concentrate and don't fall asleep. And you know that we've all been in those situations where, where, where you're not supposed to fall asleep. Yeah. And the body kind of grasses yourself up when you do the, you know, and everyone knows you're asleep when you, when you come to. So, um in reality, I, I, I fell asleep, uh, looked yeah. like a drunk ballet dancer doing yoga, and I was starving <laughs> hungry. Um, and going back to the Beatles, then, I suddenly empathised with Ringo because he bought a whole stash of his own baked beans with him and quit the whole experience after, after 10 days. Oh, wow. Uh, so, but, yeah, a bit of, bit of Beatles uh, experiences yeah. there. Sometimes it's diff- difficult not to laugh. I was in a... Uh, I got my um, mantra from... Uh, Somebody in Braintree, and, and uh, given uh, rice was thrown at me and, right. as I got my mantra. And in a session, people take it so seriously when we were talking about our experiences of, uh, of uh, the Maharishi Yoga. And uh, I couldn't help laughing when it was this woman's turn. She said, uh, I can't help thinking that the yogi Maharishi sounds like Mickey Mouse. Wow. I thought, well, how, how sacrilege is that when I was trying yeah. to take it seriously, you know? I'm just impressed with the, uh, the link from Rishikesh to Braintree. <laughs> <laughs> it's a leap of faith, isn't it, Mike? Yeah. Well, not when you're in Braintree, mate. <laughs> anyway, uh, Dave, uh, aside from music, you also starred in a Bombay Bollywood movie. That sounds incredible. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a kind of dream come true. I was towards the end of the street, and my, my friend and I again were walking on the streets of uh, Bombay, uh, modern-day Mumbai, and, and someone approached us. And said, would you like to be in a Bollywood movie? And uh, my friend said, how much? Uh, while I was already writing the uh, Oscar acceptance speech in my head. Um, so, so the next day, uh, I was driven with a couple of Kiwi girls who would be our wives for the day. Uh, and, and arrived on set. And, you know, you're expecting these dancing ladies in saris, drummers drumming, elephants dressed in elaborate garb. Yeah. And a few men looking like a Mughal emperor, emperors in the center. Yeah. Uh, but they said, no, it's a, it's a beach scene. Um, so they just told us to stay in the background and, uh, and, and sit on the beach, which, which was a bit boring. So yeah. I said to this, this, this girl from New Zealand, well, let's have an argument because we're, we're in shot here. <laughs> so, so, you know, she slapped me around the face. I got up in shock. Yeah. So, so somewhere in the world, there is a, a scene in the Bollywood movie archive of me in the background having an argument with, with a New Zealand girl. That's actually on film, is it? It's on film somewhere, yeah. yeah. We were paid. We were that. paid at the end yeah. of the day. I'd like to see it as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Well, David, you've chosen another song for us, and uh, this one is from the boys themselves, the Beatles, and it's called Across the Universe. So why is that your next choice? Well, the Beatles wrote about, about 40 tunes there, and obviously we know the, the, the sitar influence in songs like Norwegian Wood, but the song Dear Prudence was about actress Mia Farrow's sister who became a recluse in Rishikesh. She got so addicted to meditation so john lennon wrote some lyrics um as telling her to open up and, and see the sunny skies and and lennon said of her she'd been locked up for three weeks meditating and was trying to reach god quicker than anyone else so he wrote a song to her dear prudence 
But we're actually going to play across the universe. <laughs> across the universe, then? I thought you were playing Dear Prudence. Well, Across the Universe has got Sanskrit repetition of uh, Java Ru, which is uh, an Indian mantra. So it's in all their songs from around their time, the, the influence from Rishikesh. Across the Universe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Like endless rain into a paper cup They slither wildly as they slip away Across the universe Pools of sorrow, waves of joy Are drifting through my opened mind Possessing and caressing me As of April 2018, there were 193 recognized countries in the United Nations, plus two with non-observer status. Jessica Nomongo visited them all. Her passports have stamps from places as far flung as Nigeria, Cuba, Turkey and Laos. To support her travel habits, she founded a company called Jet Black, which organizes custom itineraries for small group trips in Africa. Plus, it sells travel gear like branded t-shirts and passport covers. As an influencer, she also works with hotel and hospitality brands, some of whom offer up free stays in exchange for social media posts. She also accepts donations on a GoFundMe page. Navigating the world as a woman can be very difficult, Namongo said in 2018. I've had a pretty wide range of experiences. I've been accused of being a prostitute. I've had men chase me before. I've been assaulted on the street. In one particularly horrible incident, a driver or fixer that Nabongo had been working with and had grown to trust invited her to an Easter orgy just before he was due to pick her up to go to the airport. That is something a man will never have to deal with. And despite being a self-identified African, that didn't mean everything was smooth sailing when Nabongo travelled around Africa. A few times she watched in frustration as she was forced to wait behind white tourists or forced to pay bribes in order to cross borders that should have been open to her. The discrimination that I faced in South Africa was ridiculous. Not only from white South Africans, which many would expect, but also from black South Africans, she said. However, some countries were better than others. Senegal is amazing, she said. You don't see them privileging white people over Africans. They treat everyone the same. The same goes for Ghana. Adding to the challenge of seeing the world is the fact that Nabongo often travels solo. She generally avoids Airbnbs for hotels, where she can count on a 24-hour front desk to keep her feeling secure. She prefers to bring friends along to share the experience when possible.
5% of Mike's fee goes to charity. This week's guest on Red Button is... Dave Nash. Is it... Dave Nash. The professional golfer? No. Is it... Dave Nash. The American actor? No. Is it... Dave Nash. The Chinese online retail platform genius? No. Tonight's guest is someone from Colchester called... Dave Nash. That was made by Mike Harwood Audio Recycling. Putting Wiven Ho's money where our mouths are. Well, thank you very much for that, Mike. And uh, with you making all this money from these adverts and uh, these uh, these jingles, it's a good thing that you've just got the last round in, isn't it? Absolutely. I've been uh, not so many rounds uh, this, this this time, so I've got uh, double rations uh, just to see us through. Well, Dave's here, of course, and uh, he's Hi. come back to Calm Radio. And lovely to see you, Dave. And you're time to talk about his adventures across the Indian subcontinent right up here at the Rooftop Executive Bar here at Colm Radio Towers. And uh, we've been talking the subcontinent of India, haven't we? India, Bangladesh, Nepal and Bhutan. Yeah. Now, I understand, David, that you returned to the Indian subcontinent in 2016, some 10 years after you first visited India. Why did you go back? Yeah, I went to Sri Lanka and then Bangladesh and Bhutan and Nepal. Um, And particularly with Bangladesh, I kind of wanted to to prove that I could still do it um, 10 years more senior. And, um, you know, arriving in Dakar, in, in, in uh, Bangladesh, the capital, is, it's 27 million people there. And I suppose I just wanted to be uh, an, insin- an in- insignificant dot in a mega city again. I don't know why, but it's good for the soul. Um, and, uh, and I remember arriving in Bangladesh, and it had signs up everywhere saying, please present your invitation. I'm thinking I'm the only tourist in this whole entire country, and it's the first country I've been to where I need an invitation. But, you know, you go around Dakar, and, and like New Delhi or Bangkok, um, traffic lights and lanes are just there for display purposes only. And, and the buses in, in, of Bengal, they almost look like paper mache. They have that many dents on them in their bright colours. Um, they, they look like paper mache. And it's like a kind of wacky races episode of Top Gear traveling around uh, the city. Um, you've got your rucksack on your back uh, and you're on a bicycle rickshaw with a huge uh, lorry to your left and a battered bus to your right um, and traffic coming for you from all directions. So it's, it, it makes you feel alive, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you paint a very interesting picture. Was, yeah. other than the road system... Yeah. Was it a similarly challenging experience to travelling around India? Yeah, if not slightly more, because less people speak English in Bangladesh. Um, and, and there's a lot more water in, in Bangladesh. Um, so there's a lot more boats and then, and then a bus. Um, but uh, what I did have to help me was, was two policemen with me at all times. And they had had a recent terror attacks. It was around a similar time to we had those awful attacks in London here. Um, and they had a similar attack in, in Dakar. So they thought, being a tourist, they need to protect me, and I was the only tourist in the country. So they did literally put two policemen with me for the entire time, anywhere I travelled, apart from in the capital, which is probably where you, where you need them most. And uh, it's not a, a word of a lie. That I remember being on a, on a bus for four hours, going through the Bangladeshi countryside, with an armed police officer by the side of me, on a crowded bus, but on front of the bus was a motorcycle with his sirens on, guiding us all the way. So I kind of felt like the president. You're going through all these tiny little villages where nothing has happened for 300 years, and suddenly the sirens are coming. And who is it? Who is it? Well, it's, it's Dave Nash. It's Mr. English, isn't it? You know? Dave Nash. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I even went to tea plantations there, and they made me wait an hour for a policeman. No, oh, you must be safe. And then this policeman turns up with a stick. Um, think, oh, thanks, but um, yeah, it's a it, unique experience. I don't want the listeners to feel that you're the only white person who has ever experienced this because Mr. Lawrence and I, when travelling to Indonesia, yeah. did have two policemen stop the traffic for us to jog across a road. We did. We did. Yeah. Only yeah. because they just couldn't believe we were being so stupid as to 
jog down the street at six o'clock in the morning through the rush hour. Well, obviously the Bangladeshi police force couldn't believe that Mr Nash was stupid enough to be travelling through the countryside on his own. But never mind, let's get back to the topic in hand. Um, (laughs) You mentioned uh, in a conversation earlier about rocket paddle steamers. Yeah. Which sounds like quite an interesting form of transport. What the devil are they? Well, I'd say to anyone, uh, have a little look on YouTube at what they are, because um, they're a real relic of uh, of the East Indian Company, and and back in the day of of the Empire, uh, these rocket steamers, as they're known as, are a huge kind of double-decker paddle boats of quite a fair size um, and, and they were the fastest mode of transport across the Indian subcontinent um, you know 25% of Bangladesh is less than a metre above water so, so the, the rivers are, are the lifeblood of their country and connecting communities but there's now only four of them left and I, I really really wanted to, to, to go on them to, to be part of this colonial past and you know walking onto these boats and seeing like a floating village of Dozens of people spread across the floor and engines chugging on the waterways and trading of rice and petrol and oranges and bikes and clothes. It was amazing. And, you know, if walls could tell stories, it was a 100 years of history. Um, but have a look at them on YouTube. They are battered but intriguing. After that description, I'll definitely have to take a peek. Now, as we all know, you're a teacher. I am, I try to be. And that when you're away, we also know that you like to visit schools. So yeah. how did those, how did the schools in the Indian subcontinent compare to our own? Well, obviously they have a lot less. Um, and, um, you know, ch- children really realise that education is, is the only opportunity they have to escape the situation they're in. But, you know, the, the kids are great out there and, and, and you are welcomed into schools to visit. Um, and I, I had an experience of teaching in, in Bodh Gaya where kind of uh, the Buddha was enlightened. And I was teaching the children, you know, the head, shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes. And I was teaching them the English for that. And as I reached down to touch my toes, my, my white linen trousers ripped. Um, but it wasn't a problem. The teacher said, oh, don't worry, you know, c- come to my house and we'll fix them. So, so I left the school. Uh, went to his mum's house. She was pumping water from a well. And it, it, the mum said, take your trousers off. And uh, she started stitching these trousers on the machine. As I stood, stood in this room with drying cow pats on, on the, each wall, which they use f- with, for fuel. And uh, my two wob- wobbly, uh, knobbly English knees were out. And uh, the wife, the, the granddad, the father, the grandma, the two sisters were just all staring at me. And I thought, you wouldn't get that experience in an English school um, no I think safeguarding might be and you know I went to another school in Bangladesh with two policemen and uh, and I, actually I was glad they were, they were with us because the, there was no learning taking place the kids were everywhere uh, and I, I so I spoke to the head teacher and I said what, what's going on and he said we've had to cancel lessons for the last two days because we are due a government inspection and need to get ready for the inspection <laughs> so I said well what about lessons and he said no they're fine we need to tidy the staff room <laughs> so uh, <laughs> very different to uh, British education yeah well thank you very much for that David are we, are we going to have a little piece of music, Mr. Lawrence? I think so. The next yeah. piece you've chosen, David, is by Kula Shaka, or Shaker or Shaka? Kula Shaker. Kula Shaker. Yeah, yeah. And it's called Govinda. Yeah, this text from the song is all in Sanskrit, and it's from a devotional chant, which actually George Harrison once recorded, but it's actually the only British top ten hit to be sung entirely in Sanskrit. <laughs>
Sometimes, though, the tables turn and Jessica Nabongo finds herself abroad speaking on behalf of Americans. This is particularly likely in countries that have warned their citizens against traveling to the United States or have concerns about gun violence. While I've been abroad, I've had people ask me about how safe is the US, especially for people of color, Jessica said. And you know, I have to tell them Yes, there is a high risk for you in particular urban areas, but then also in rural areas because you're a minority. It's a very strange and difficult thing to navigate, she said. Still, comments and questions like those only emphasize the importance of Jessica's work. Where she does not identify as an activist, sometimes her mere presence is enough to make a difference or cause a person to see things differently. This is a common sentiment echoed by many women of color. Simply being who you are is a statement. Whether counseling a person of color who's afraid to travel or a local who thinks it's okay to try and touch her head without asking her, Nabongo serves as a cultural ambassador that may not be visible behind those colorful shots she posts on Instagram. Speaking of Instagram, Nabongo has some words of caution for travelers who use African people as objects, props or backdrops in their photos. Something she encounters way too often online. Instagram is great, I love it. It's obviously given me a platform so that I can educate people about different places in the world, she said. But it's also a very dangerous and disgusting place as well, because a lot of people want a bigger following. They want the likes. They want pictures that go viral. So they're willing to use anybody and anything, she said. We cannot negate the optics of whiteness in Africa. We cannot. Ultimately, Jessica Namongo says her quest was not just about crossing countries off a list. It was about changing the perception of female travelers, of travelers of color, and anyone who doesn't have the option of passing for a local in a given community. Racism is a thing, she said. There's nothing we can do to get around that. History has made it that way. I exist as a black person in this world, and I'm not going to let that hinder me from going anywhere I want to, namely everywhere. Last stop on the round was Top of the Hill to listen to Box 39. It were like taking radio to the top of the world. And after the music and magazine show with its eclectic mix of chat, interviews, features and the funny side of life in our community, we'd put the kettle on and have doorsteps of Red Button, the perfect later evening conversation show that follows Box 39. Get it inside you lads, we'd say. Does you good that red button. I've never heard radio like it. Box 39 and then red button. Thursday evenings from 8 to 10 on Com Radio. It's as good today as it's always been.
You're listening to Red Button on Colm Radio, 106.6 FM. So, we're here on Red Button, Colm Radio, 106.6 FM, and we're with uh, the adventurer, the explorer, the traveller, and the teacher, David Nash. Hi, Bill. I've been called worse. <laughs> and... Uh, Oh, I should have added to that, shouldn't I? A Bollywood star. Absolutely. I'll, I'll sign your chest later. Thank you very much. So, um, let's talk about Sri Lanka, Dave. I want to talk <laughs> about that. It's, it's the pear, isn't it, on the end of it? That's Indian right, yeah, yeah. It's the world's last Shrangular. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What did you think of it? I loved it. It was like a posh India, uh, to be honest. Uh, I mean, a civil war ended there in 2009, and, and now it's a major tourist destination. So credit to the country. Uh, but once you get out of the capital, Colombo, it's, it's a stunning country. Um, you, you know, there's a place called Andorad Hapura, and uh, once upon a time in the world, they had the third largest structure there, which is still there after two of the pyramids of Giza. And it's this huge stupa built out of 90 million bricks. Um, and if you dismantled this stupa, you could build a three-foot wall between London and Edinburgh. So it's a stunning sight. Um, but I think in Sri Lanka, there, there were some wonderful stories uh, I heard, uh, and one particularly about, uh, which we can relate to, about our own kind of Robin Hood hero. Um, and uh, this Robin Hood hero uh, was called uh, Sardanel, and he lived in the mid-1800s, and he was a kind of uh, a Ceylonese gang leader who, who the British colonial um, soldiers always tried to capture but never could, and he would rob from the rich and give to the poor. But eventually he was captured one day in a place called Candy, um, and he was killed by a comma um, because Queen Victoria wrote a letter saying, um, kill him, not let him go. But after he was killed, they realised that the comma had been in the wrong place, and it was meant to say, "Kill him not, let him go." Wow! And Bhutan, yeah, very briefly. Bhutan, uh, wonderful country in my top five. Uh, like the Japanese, Dutch, and Scandinavian, they've got everything right. Uh, they they measure their success by happiness and not by economic wealth, um, and and you know they've got everything right in terms of the psyche of what it means to be human and you chose this we just started playing it in as your last piece of music yeah, this absolutely. is of course uh, from the great George Harrison why do you like this so much? well I like it because it was the first solo number one by, by an ex-Beatle uh, it was the biggest selling single in 1971 but actually the lyrics are about the blending of different religions uh, the Hebrew word Alleluia and the charts of Harry Krishna as well so like India unites all different aspects of the brilliant thing it is to be human and alive on earth I think this this song describes it perfectly
just fade George Harrison down for a moment there. It's time for us here on Red Button to say that's it. And we're very grateful to our guests tonight, uh, David Nash, to Mike Harwood and to Ian Talentire. Mike Harwood's back up at the bar. He's put all his credit cards behind the bar. We're going to stay here to the afternoon. So come on and join us at the Executive Bar Lounge at Com Radio Towers. This has been Red Button. We're back next Thursday at 9 o'clock here on 106.6 FM Colm Radio with more later evening conversation and music. So, from all of us here, it's goodbye and may the road rise with you. This has been a Guppy production for Colm Radio.